0: The heart says no, but the data says
1: yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, describe things like empathy and compassion and stuff like that. I use that a lot when I'm working with uh, kids. Nice. Very nice.
1: Yeah, well, you, you know um uh, it's funny because i think we start these conversations um uh before the podcast even starts recording and like i, I think from now on i'm just gonna start recording and then we're just gonna talk because <laughs> <laughs> you know we have like really interesting conversations and i'm like oh yeah we should talk we're about really
2: this, so. we're, we're really interesting people so of course we're yeah, gonna have of really course. interesting conversations yeah, yeah
1: yeah and, and i now, don't know i don't know where you find the time to read all these books jeffrey but i would love to have your capacity for all this stuff that sounds like an awesome book i would love to read that
0: Everybody. i know <laughs> yeah and by the way where I, I, I hire a reader to travel with me wherever i go and they just sort of follow behind with an open book and share it uh. with them. <laughs> i wish next life maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah. And and I've I've started recording, so we might as well just start the the podcast here. Hi everybody out there in podcast world. I just decided to start the recording when we started talking because we're having such interesting side conversations before we even Because we're
2: interesting people. Because
1: we're really interesting people, yeah. <laughs> and and Jeffrey, who's the most interesting of all of us, uh, is reading a book by Renee Brown. Or have you finished it?
0: Yes, I finished it. I'm breathing the wilderness. She actually was one of the key um keynote speakers at NatCon uh, last month Mm -hmm. and um, I I love this book it really I mean the part that speaks to me is this idea about how much loneliness there is in society and I I see that and and work a lot with that with the physicians that um, and physician teams I work with Um, the loneliness uh, and sort of spaces between us are pretty toxic um, so, so that's one part of the, the book. The other part then is like, since we really so much crave social connection, what happens when we have an opinion or a view or a response to something that is counter to those around us? So how does one find one's voice and express oneself with clarity and truth and, and congruence um, and and navigate, you know, brave the wilderness of what that may mean in terms of, um, you know, lost social connection or social rejection. So, um, so, so those two pieces, and then woven with some very thoughtful, heartfelt exploration about the isolation between us across difference of race and ethnicity and political views, and all of those sort of valleys. Um anyway, it's a it's um a very thoughtful, inspiring, and most timely read. So I recommend Braving the Wilderness by Brené Brown since you asked. Dolly, yes.
1: No, now I asked and I got the uh the great summary that I wanted. Um now now I can uh put it on my long list of books to read. Yes. And, I
2: mean, <laughs> I don't know if that like those types of books are on there, but um I've been using the Blinkist app like a little plug if Blinkist wants to start sponsoring our podcast um but it's a really awesome app like it's there's a lot of like self-help books and like informational nonfiction things like that but um it breaks it down into like the key points of whatever that book is and there's also like audio versions like of it so you can kind of read a whole book and like in five minutes and get all the major points from it. So because since I'm in graduate school, I don't really have time to do any leisure reading slash don't want to, or I feel guilty because I should be reading a scholarly journal article. So that's kind of how I, you know, still feel like I'm, you know, involved in like my knowledge base, even though it's so cheating. It's kind of, do you guys remember like cliff notes or like spark notes or whatever? That's what I was thinking.
1: Yeah, Yeah. It's
2: like that, but it's like, you know, we're we're just calling it what it is. It's just it's cheating, but it's it's totally okay. You know, you got to figure it out somehow. It's better than not reading anything at all. I think. Yeah. Because I don't know where Jeffrey finds the time, but you know, that's for the rest of us. Check out the Blinkist app.
1: Yes, that well that that that's a awesome recommendation. Um, yeah. Now we have to find the time to download the Blinkist app <laughs> and figure that part out. So, um. Yeah. So so yeah. So we, we we started off on the best note possible, which is just uh, uh, what we do here on the Integrated Care Podcast. Uh, for those of you checking in and listening, thanks for joining us again. Um, we we are really excited about today's podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the uh, the core competencies of the integrated care team, and we're going to uh, talk about what the with the different pieces of, of uh, skill, knowledge, uh, attitudinal position that each of the team members uh, uh, need to develop uh, to work effectively with one another. And so we've got some great stuff there. Before we get that, we always try to give you a few mentions, things to keep in mind. And so we'll run through a few of them. One of the things that I'm most excited about here, guys, is... Uh, and this is sort of a a, a sneak peekish uh, sort of mention. Uh, we're We're launching a social app, speaking of this whole idea of the space between us. Um, you know, I have mixed feelings about social media, uh, right? I mean, it's, Facebook's been in the news, and we've really, I think, entered a period of self-reflection around the role of social media in either, sort of connecting us or not connecting us, you know, and I'd be interested to see what Brene Brown uh, says about the role of social media in particular. But uh, one of my sort of visions for CFHA and, and the vision of the board is really to continue to connect people meaningfully, right? I think that's one of the things that CFHA does best is just bring people together with who have a passion for integrated care, providing this whole person care approach but it gets complicated in a community for lots of reasons Uh, size uh, we have this annual conference that's awesome but it's a once a year thing and part of my vision is to help people come together um, and and share their vision uh, share their inspiration collaborate on projects in smaller groups uh, more effectively and the first step to that is just connecting them and so uh, we're we're looking at uh, an app called Social Link. We're calling it CFHA Social Link. If you are a CFHA member, you already actually are uh, part of the app because it's really the back end of our online website, cfha.net. And so right now we're not launching it full bore. We're doing some beta testing and we have a few members out there just getting us feedback on it. Um, but if you're... Uh, uh, interested in being a CFHA member or are a CFHM member, keep an eye out for social link. This is really part of a larger vision to get people together in small groups to really meaningfully connect with one another and share their lives because too much of our professional lives are, you know, sort of disparate, uh, far apart, especially for those of us on the pioneering edge of integrated care. And my vision is if we get small, pe- uh, small groups of people together and, and connect people more meaningfully, more easily, frictionless connection, um, that I think, uh, I think that's gonna be a good thing for healthcare at large and for the integrated care movement. So uh, if you are a CFHA member and you're getting this, you can join the beta testing just by going on the website, clicking the sign in, and you'll automatically see what we mean by, by social link. So that's uh, CFHA social link. You know, while we're talking about that real quick, uh, what are your guys' experiences with uh, uh, social media? Yay, nay, positive, up, down, sideways?
2: Mm, I mean, I, I, it's it's kind of strange because I'm at like a place, I feel like, where I have experienced like half of my life with it and then half of my life without it. Um, like I didn't have Facebook until I went to college because it was only for college students when it kind of first launched. Um, and now there's like the kids that I nanny have Facebooks and they're like 10. So, um, that's, that's kind of like a little, a little weird. And, um, I think that, you know, it, it does make people's worlds bigger, and I like it for that. I think that there is a huge connection piece, which is really amazing. I know personally I've been exposed to things. Honestly, being a part of this podcast is because I saw posts on the Facebook page. Um, so, like, this wouldn't even be a part of my life or something I would be involved in if it weren't for social media. Um, but I do think that there's this other piece where people are kind of putting a lot more stock into how they appear online or what their social media presence is versus actual real life connection. And, um, I, I work with a lot of like teens and tweens and their self-worth and their self-image is wrapped up in like how many likes they get and, you know, what they look like with, you know, Instagram filters on and things like that. And so that, that part of it's a little scary. I can't remember what episode, but if any of you watch black mirror on Netflix, have you guys ever watched it?
1: Oh, no, I love all these references. Yeah, what's what is Black Mirror?
2: Oh my gosh, you guys! Black Mirror is like so. There's two seasons out on Netflix so far, and it's really good. So every every episode is something different, and it's kind of a, a satire kind of piece on some aspect of society. Um, and it's it's a little dark and very psychologically stimulating. Uh, But every episode, it's like just about an hour long. And there's one episode, I'm pretty sure it's in the first season. And it's kind of takes place in this future society where instead of having like money as an exchange, it's your status and what you can get and what you're entitled to in society is based on how many likes you have on social media. So like, you can only yeah. access yeah, like you can only access certain goods and services if you're at a certain like level ranking with your social media likes and things like that. So, if you do something that people don't like in real life, they can like take this rating like th- in the in the uh, show they like take out their phones and they're like, oh, you didn't smile at me. I'm gonna mark you down a couple points, and that actually affects people's real world experience with what they have access to. Um, And it's this girl who, I'm not going to tell you the end because you're all going to go and watch it now, but she (laughs) starts out in her whole existence, she's doing really good, she's really trying to get to that next tier, but she's doing really good with all of her likes, and then it's just kind of like one bad thing happens after another, and she kind of gets to a very different place towards the end of the episode. I highly recommend it, I will figure out what episode it is so that we can link it in the show notes, um, so people can... Check that out, but um, it's a really it's a really thought-provoking thing to kind of just check out in reference to social media and how it affects our lives
1: well I can tell you that we will not be implementing that feature <laughs> as part of our <laughs> CFHA social link You're, You don't have to worry about your status uh, going up or down <laughs> relative to your profile. But no, yeah, we're, we're, you know, my vision is really about this being a conduit for real relationship, not a substitute for real relationship. So we'll see. We're in beta testing now. Again, go to the website for that. A couple of other quick mentions here. I'm really excited about. I'm a little bit of a geek with this kind of stuff, but uh, no, really. Our, <laughs> our, our research and education committee uh, worked real hard. A subset of that group worked real hard on some research summaries, uh, covering sort of abstracts across integrated care in different areas, and we'll include some of those um, some of those notes in in the uh, the links to that in the summary. But these research summaries. Um, uh, give you a quick synopsis of the last few months in integrated care. Um, and you can, we we'll, are going to be putting those up on integrated care They're on the main website right now. We'll put the link up to that. So if you're a geek about integrated care research, um, these folks worked hard to create those. So check those out. And then last but not least, we're going to be talking here in a moment about the conference in October. Um, Uh, Registration is going to open June 15th, so many of you will be listening to this podcast around that time. So check the website, integratedcareconference.com, for that. We are so excited about that. Speaking of which, guys, you know that uh, you all had the privilege of getting a sneak peek at the concurrent sessions. And instead of our regular news and notes This uh, month, we're going to be giving you all, our listeners, uh, a sneak peek at the concurrent sessions and some of our favorites that we have coming up. Um, So let's take a few minutes uh, to talk a little bit about what exciting stuff is coming up. And I will just say, I know I'm biased, but when I was looking through all of the sessions, I I found myself thinking... I'm going to have a hard time and, and as the executive director I have a hard time going to sessions period because of all the other stuff I got to be doing. Uh but if I'm attending this conference and I'm having to pick and choose which sessions to go to I was having a really really hard time making decisions. I I'm honestly telling you I think the quality keeps getting better every single year. And it's getting harder and harder to make those choices. It's a little bit more painful to, you know, say no to some things that I'm really interested in. So anyway, without further ado, guys out there in podcast world, this is your sneak peek at the 2018 conference in Rochester, New York. Jeffrey, let's get your favorites. What are the ones that you are looking forward to kind of attending the most?
0: Um. Well, I can't wait to go to the conference, and one of the reasons is because, um, in response to your earlier question, um, social media only takes us so far, and it's um as Simon Sinek says, it's really about the handshake. It's about the true connection. And that is what happens so amazingly and magically um, at the at the gathering. So I'm looking forward to Rochester um and and two um, presentations in particular. Uh, the first is um, Dr. Stephanie Trudeau and Dr. Barry Jacobs from Crozer Keystone Center for Family Health in um, uh, f- in Pennsylvania. And they're doing a talk on chronic progressive illness in the family and these sort of family centered shared care plans that weave in spirituality and religion in the assessment.
2: Jeff, you're taking my favorite. That was my favorite too.
0: Oh, well, let's do it together. We have double favorites. <laughs> Well, we w- can go together. We'll
2: sit next to each other. It'll Good. be fun.
0: Well, what what caught your eye, Amber? What did you love about that one?
2: Um, honestly, like, because, you know, it was not to not to jump in, but I was like, I was so excited to talk about that. And that's like what you picked first. But um, I think it's really cool that the, it, you know, obviously the, the family centered and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm really intrigued by this whole the role of spirituality and religion an assessment because going with what you were talking about with the whole Brene Brown book thing, you know, we're very afraid of kind of that role of, you know, you know, connecting with people. We don't want to offend anyone. Like, how are we, you know, making sure that we are encompassing the whole person and creating that bridge for that connection to make sure that we are incorporating all aspects of, of that person, which I think spirituality is like, you know, a huge piece for a lot of people. Um, and so like, how, how do we do that in a way that, you know, is going to be respectful and also like, you know, address the whole chronic illness piece. So not to jump all over your stuff, but I'm with you on that. And we're going to, we're going to go to that together and I'm excited. Sounds mm-hmm.
0: well, yeah, good. Well, I agree with you. Um, patients want, um, the research shows that most patients want practitioners to talk with them about um, religion and spirituality, but it has not been the traditional comfort zone. Of, uh, of, of healthcare and mental health care practitioners and so uh, anyway I'm just so excited I, I don't know Dr. Trudeau but I do know dr. Jacobs um, and ha- having been a journalist before he was a, became a psychologist uh, makes me especially excited about the way he tells um, stories and will tell a story about their shared care planning uh, the second one that I'm excited about yeah is you know the same before thing. you sorry oh, Jeffrey yeah.
1: before you go I just want to mention also just that that spirituality emphasis. Um, I I find it interesting um, that there's a a few sessions that uh, uh, are incorporating spirituality uh, and or uh, naming sort of the biopsychosocial spiritual model, which is an add-on that is a really recent add-on, I think is really, really cool and important and relevant because I just want to second what you say, uh, Jeffrey. The truth is that our patients are um, um, more than likely— Using spirituality as a key coping strategy uh, or framework uh, for approaching their life issues, for thinking through what's going on, and for us to not be adept at helping maneuver uh, in that sphere is a real deficit for us. So I'm really, I think it's a really interesting uh, development um, within our circles in integrated care to be thinking about it. It's going to be really cool to hear this presentation. I agree.
0: Um, and, you know, we could have a whole other session on spirituality and healthcare, uh, But I, I will just say quickly that yesterday I led a, a physician wellness retreat for family medicine, actually for in, internal medicine residents as well. And we um, held the retreat in these very beautiful gardens here in Los Angeles. And we um, took some time at the end of the day to silently walk through the gardens. And um, we didn't necessarily label it as spiritual development, but that is really how I saw that part of our day. Um and the de- to the degree that we are working on our own selves as healthcare practitioners and, I guess, developing our own, you know, spiritual connection, whether it's through nature or relationship or divine force, um, the more able, right, to be able to meet patients where they are. All of that is in a, a, a side. Silence
2: seems to be a theme that's coming up. He's yes, taking silent yes. walks, deep who's going yeah. on silent retreats. Deeper, yeah. Well, I just
1: I do, no. yeah so 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 the our podcast listeners don't know because we we were talking about this before Deepu just came back from a silent retreat and apparently we're talking so much but Deepu is so so deeply centered that he finds no reason to be talking right <laughs> now <laughs> <laughs> was my to, <laughs> yeah. So, all right, all right, so, Jeffrey. Um, what's your other one?
0: Yeah, my second one has to do with um, telling stories, um, and we have so many great stories uh, to tell um, in um, integrated care. So um, the the presentation that caught my eye is um, are the outgoing editors and the incoming editors of Family Systems and Health, and um, so this is uh, Colleen Fogarty, Colleen Fogarty, and Larry Mauch, and Nadia Sunderji and Jody Pilla. Um Who will be really, I think, opening the door for all of us into their journal, helping us find a way in, encouraging us, I think, to share the stories of the remarkable work we're doing, the the research kind of work that um, you were discussing earlier, Neftali. So, um, you know, they're going to talk some very tangible things about, you know, how we uh, overcome our barriers to writing. Um, They're going to, I think, be um, hoping that some of us. Uh, we'll certainly write and write more. I, I think they're going to hope that more of us uh, volunteer to be peer reviewers. But I think that mostly what they're going to do is really lay out a beautiful buffet of, uh, of tempting uh, you know, uh, options and opportunities for us to, um, to, to sit down and, and do the writing that we need to do. So um, anyway, that's uh, on the top of my list as well.
1: Yeah, that's going to be cool, especially because of the transition. You know, it's really an opportunity for Jody and Nadia to express their vision for the journal and invite, you know, the audience to really um, get excited about that um, and maybe prep some of their work for that. So, yeah, that's going to be a good one. So, uh, Deepu, uh, you have been silent since uh, last Sunday. We're we're going to allow you to speak now. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I break my vow of silence to be on the podcast today.
2: Uh, I, I hope everyone's really honored because you know it's a big deal.
3: <laughs> That's right. My, uh, well, yeah, let's I, see what he has I, to
0: say. I don't know. Let's see.
3: <laughs> let's see. Let's see what comes out of my mouth. I guess. Um, plug for spirituality. I think it is a it's a central tenet that guides all of our lives. Uh, last week, uh, since returning, uh, I saw several on Tuesday and Wednesday. And two of my interventions that I completed with um, a mom who has a difficult time with uh, depression and anxiety and and some drug use, one of the uh, interventions that we developed was spiritual um, connection and time with her son uh, that she's going to pursue as as a valued behavior. Um, And sometimes when you ask about social activities, one of the things I also ask is, do you connect with meaningful groups such as faith groups or social groups. And usually it comes out there and people really want to get back to that. Uh, And if you're doing one more positive thing that adds meaning to your life and are committing to that behavior, it's going to move you in a meaningful direction for your health and overall well-being. So plug for that. The two um, sessions that really piqued my interest, Jeff, I think you're taking all our best ideas. So one was Disseminating Your Ideas, a Conversation with Editors of Family Systems and Health. Um, I'm particularly interested in this because, um, one, I'm excited to sort of see what they are going to talk about in terms of strategies. But I also know as we think about our field and moving forward, uh, Dr. Palaha is really invested in this idea, too. There's a lot of talk about Uh, implementation science and dissemination kinds of research and sort of using those kinds of frameworks to really look at the impact of integrated care and its population reach, right? So we're so used to traditional models and methods of research and design. And I'm really excited to see how the journal is going to invite newer conversations. I had a conversation with uh, Dr. Ken Corso a few weeks ago I was telling him about a few things that we were doing here, and he said, oh, you should write this up. I was like, really? Like, I can write that up? And he said, yeah. So um, it's definitely opening my eyes because we're at a stage in our project where we are ready to send some things into the literature, and so that's exciting. Um, the second thing uh, is psychology, medical family therapy, social work, psychiatric nursing, counseling, and others.
0: Ah, uh, you I took one of mine. I'm-
3: ha, there we go. You're awesome. <laughs> Finger. <laughs> this is good. I think this we're is playing good. like
2: we're playing like go Fish, but with like you know, conference topics. yeah like, uh, <laughs> do you have any <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
3: I think they're all linked by one or the other. This is so cool because it tells where our headspace is, right? It's, it tells what we value. Um, and uh, effective collaborators or sibling disciplines at war. I think this is critically important because where I am in the Rio Grande Valley we have a a shortage in in terms of providers. So we are relying on multiple licensees to become part of our integrated behavioral health mission for the School of Medicine here. And for me, as a um, trained in medical family therapy and doing a lot of work right now, mainly in the PCBH arena, it has always been about finding the right fit to primary care and population health missions. And we have several licensed practitioners in our team. And I always uh, remind them that this a lot of this is about our basic competencies in the healthcare team. And your disciplines give you the flavor. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about learning to work together and, and really lobby and uh, do things for other disciplines to bring them up to parity for integrated care. So I'm particularly excited about the common factors. Um, that they want to highlight and the effectiveness of uh, the different disciplines so I'm excited about the conversation and uh, hopefully uh, that can lead to some broad statements in the public and other uh, other ways to advocate for the work that we do so and Naftali I'll Sort of pass it on to you. Yeah, so because you already five. took mine. That's why. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and then.
1: Yeah, I'm like so, I'm sitting oh, here
2: ahead. relooking, trying to find like another second one because the <laughs> Jeff. That's okay. Well, there's so well, many to choose from.
1: I, I will pile on that one a little bit though, because and and I think and I'm always cognizant of the fact that we have podcast listeners who are are maybe um, less related to the heart of integrated care, don't have a lot of history with it, so. You know, you should know that, that those of us who work in integrated care are aware of the tensions. Um, any movement has tensions, right? Even in uh, uh, major uh, movements like civil rights, you, you had factions, right? People who believe right. they have the way to do it. And, and 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 opposing viewpoints on that, and that and integrated care is no different. Uh, we have a movement that's extremely diverse. Um, you have physicians and P's, PAs. You have psychiatric nurse pr- practitioners. You have um, you have community health workers, care managers, psychologists, uh, LMFTs, social workers, etc. And and others, pharmacists. Um, and and each piece brings a different, as you said, flavor. Um, And so I think in recent years, there has been within our organization some tension, some some sense of like, you know, um, this group might be getting more attention, and this group might be getting less, or, you know, historically, there was more of this group in the organization, and then there's less now, or less emphasis on this uh, piece. And so actually, um, this session that you mentioned, Deepu, and, I'm pulling up the other one here. Another session were my f- were, were the ones I wanted to highlight for this reason because I think we're getting to the point where we're actually beginning to have good conversations about this versus an right. undercurrent you know of tension so so this one with Jody and Ty Mendelhall and Angela Lamson um, that you mentioned, are these disciplines uh, disciplines at war, or are they effective collaborators, is, is, I think, an attempt to open up this conversation and, and really sort of face it and say, yeah, you know what, We're, we are different. If I'm a psychologist and you're um, uh, an LCSW, there are some differences there, um, but we have to work together to solve the conundrums that integrated care is trying to solve. So how do we do that while bringing our unique flavors and our unique perspectives, right? Um, so that I, I love that kind of thing. I'm a uniter. I love bringing people together, and I think that's why I'm drawn to this. There's one mm-hmm. other session like this uh, that's that's I'm um, equally excited about, um, that actually depooze on of all things. So uh, this is about the role of family in PCBH. So the connection here is that one of the undercurrent, one of the tensions that we have felt here at CFHA is this tension between uh, folks who have a a sort of a central focus on family and and family systems in particular and have that sort of training that are historically a really important part, you could say uh, really close to the founding of the organization. It's a group that's coalesced here um, uh, at CFHA for many, many years. So some tension between that group, and then the group that's emerged uh, around the PCBH model, the Primary Care Behavioral Health model, um, uh, that that's not associated with a particular orientation or approach, uh, but has it's a service delivery model, and it's gotten a lot of attention in the last probably decade, uh, simply because it's historically sort of the most one of the most recent movements in integrated care. So. I'm excited to see what Deepu and Patty Robinson, who's one of the you could say really founders of PCBH, uh, along with her husband Kirk Strausel. Um, and then Jennifer Hodgson, who's a, a professor um, at Eastern Carolina University, longtime CFHA member, great presenter, um, big champion uh, for uh, uh, for uh, medical family therapy as part of their doctoral program there. So it's going to be an opportunity, again, to face this conversation and say, look, you know, uh, each of these emphases are part of the world of integrated care. Um, How do we sort of uh, both uniquely blend the important components of this service delivery model and this valuable perspective, but also, and I'm, I'm hoping that this is part of the conversation that comes up, how do we... Um, uh, help each of those groups, which have a lot of overlap, by the way, because as Deepu himself embodies, he's an LMFT who practices in the PCBH model, right? And there's a lot of folks doing that. How do we how do we bridge that to where um, these are not competing groups, but groups that push each other, that really push each other yeah. in unique ways uh, to to further what good integrated care looks like, for the individual and family. So I'm excited about those two in particular for that reason. So I don't know if you have any comments on your set, on your session real quick here, DP, but um, you know, maybe you can give the folks a sneak peek. Cause am I, am I on the right track here with what you guys are going to be talking about?
3: You're on the right track. And I, I think, I mean, I'll give you a sneak peek, but I do want people to come to the conference and be there in person. So I don't want to give too much away.
1: Yeah. Don't give uh, too much think- away.
3: I think from uh, one of our perspectives is that is uh, at least my role and my interest. And in it. it was an honor to have Dr. Hudson and Dr. Robinson sort of um, be part of this. And they sort of asked me if I was willing to be part of the conversation. So it was, it was a lot of fun putting it together and clarifying a lot of things. To me, as a, uh, a student of the field um, and a passionate advocate for the work that we do, this is uh, about bringing a lot of clarity into the conversation uh, and to sort of show that um, both disciplines of the service delivery model and medical family therapy is essentially focused on context and context drives behavior, and a lot of the work that we do is driven by that. Um, and this is like real nerdy system stuff, but uh, Von Bert Lanfi is the He's a biologist who initially wrote the General Systems Theory book. And one of the things that he talks about is the value of scientific generalists. So these are people who can be advocates of disciplines but are willing to stand at the edge of disciplines to make sure that we are collaborating, conversating, and allowing to mutually shape our worldviews as we go through and um, that has always been being a scientific generalist has been a big part of my identity, uh, working in a medical setting, working uh, on interfaith kind of dialogues and in, in my other worlds that I uh, sort of traverse. So I think this is a big point in bringing those worlds together and to begin a conversation around um, the, the value of context in human behavior and relationships and how they shape the work that we do in integrated, uh, behavior health, especially in PCBH delivery model.
1: That's awesome. All right. That's a teaser. I, I would, I would go to that session with that, with that advertisement there. That's awesome. So uh, I'm going to, uh, cheat and, and add one more of my own before Amber gives us her final, uh, uh, you're po- you're probably going
2: to take the one that I just thought of to like, <laughs> probably. Them on the gym. that's probably. fine Ooh. go, ahead. go but, ahead but but this one
1: okay <laughs> like like this one absolutely wins the prize for the absolute best session title for 2018 for the 2018 conference hands down when the committee met that you know we we all agreed best session title um, and and it's actually a a, a really cool session um, So here's the title. All right, I guarantee you, this title has never been used in any CFHA conference. I'm pretty sure it's never been used period in any conference, certainly than I've been to. Here's the title of the session: When the heart says yes, but the vagina says no. (laughs) (laughs) Is that not the best title you've ever heard?
3: That is amazing.
1: I mean, it's just just awesome. Uh, This is Tina Shermer Sellers uh, out of Seattle Pacific University, Mia Schwartz um, out of Evergreen Hospital. These folks are in Washington, of course. Kimberly Costello, uh, an MFT out of uh, Counseling Center in Seattle, Washington as well. And and so what's cool is it's not just a cool session, cool cool title. It's actually a, a really cool issue that doesn't get a lot of play, But I can tell you, having been in primary care all of, you know, 18 years, this comes up so often, much more often than you would think, and it's one of the topics that gets sort of the least attention from a clinical skill development. So I'm really interested to see what these folks have to say. They're going to be talking about uh, sexual pain, uh, essentially, and so they're going to be using here again, here's the word we talked about. Uh, providing a biopsychosocial spiritual model of care to describe how to help patients in their intimate relationships to recover and thrive um, when dealing with sexual pain issues. So I think that's fascinating. And there's a bunch of sessions like that where you can go from really specific skill areas or topic areas like uh, uh, dyspareunia or diabetes uh, to bigger issues like you know, publishing in a journal or, um, you know, so the relationship between uh, family systems and PCBH, really great breadth to this. So kudos to those folks for a great title. I just have to give it to them. All right. That was nice. (laughs) Last but not least, Amber, what's your last, what's your last sort of sneak peek session that you can give our folks at home?
2: Okay, so, well, before, before we get there, I don't know if there's any... Brooklyn Nine Nine fans out there listening, oh yeah, it's a really funny show. Yeah, okay, so you guys know that like when Detective Jake Peralta, he's always making fun of like, um, you know, Amy Santiago, right? And he's always like, oh, the story of Amy's life, right? So like that's like what pops in my head when you were like, when the heart says yes and the vagina says no, oh, the story no. of Amy Santiago, oh, like, that's, right? That's okay. not. All right. That's you know, you know that. That's not. That <laughs>
1: Oh, and man. if you guys yes. haven't
2: watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, it's a really good stress reliever. I highly recommend it for self care after a yeah. long day of seeing uh, patients. It's but... definitely
1: it's definitely binge worthy. I, I'll <laughs> second that one. Great show to be. Yeah, binge. and
2: they're they're quick. They're funny. They're they're kind of brainless, but it's 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 a really good laugh at the end of a long day. Uh, also, New Girl just got into that. It's on Netflix. I know it's been on for a while, but it's, it's a good one. Okay, <laughs> back to the back to the more serious stuff. Um, so the the Two sessions that I was also interested in that weren't already mentioned. Um, The one was really interesting to me because um, it's uh, collaborative care. There are always ways to make the good better, addressing realities and finding new ways to enhance financial sustainability. Um, This actually really jumped out at me because uh, I um, help run Um, a support group uh, locally for, you know, chronic illness and things like that. And what I'm actually hearing from a lot of uh, patients is that there's a lot of uh, primary care physicians who want to practice more integrative care, but they're not able to do it and still accept insurance because they just can't Uh, spend the time that they want to with their patients. So they're actually moving to what's kind of considered a more concierge-based model, where patients are kind of giving uh, a patient fee up front, um, a couple thousand dollars or something like that, and then that kind of buys them a spot in this uh, primary care physician's uh, practice for the year and then you know they're able to kind of get everything that they need the doctor can spend as much time with them as they want um, they can you know make referrals to other members of the care team um, and they can spend as much time with them as they want so uh, with that said it all sounds all well and good but um, there's definitely going to be people who need you know this type of Personalized care and need the doctors to be able to spend more time with them, especially the people that have more complicated health concerns, but maybe can't afford uh, to, like, pay that retainer up front or even to do the out-of-pocket payment plans and things like that. Um, so I'm, I am really interested in seeing like how we're gonna incorporate the future moving forward with, you know, kind of the way that things are moving with insurance reimbursements and things like that, but then also being able to actually care for, um, our patients. So I'm definitely gonna attend that session see what, what their thoughts are for that. Um, and then my other session that I was really interested in, uh, was, um, and my, my thing. Okay, here we go. So, Uh, I think it was like related to, oh, here it is. Utilizing written emotional disclosure to combat burnout and create resiliency in family medicine residents, uh, a pilot study. So as a student, I am really kind of learning how to do this whole balancing thing with being able to feel like I'm giving my all and really connecting with my patients and everything like that. But then, you know, there's definitely an emotional cost and then, uh, how do you kind of make sure that you're letting them know that you're involved, you're caring um, without experiencing that emotional burnout? And I think, honestly, any discussion that we can have about resiliency on the side of the practitioner is an important discussion. And I really like that that's, you know, a session that's kind of geared more towards taking care of the practitioner um, instead of just completely client or patient focused. So those those are my other Top two, along with all my other yeah. top two. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. All and, really
1: good. And you know, there's actually several sessions on both of those topics that you brought up. Uh, payment is a is a recurring topic for for uh, this conference, and also uh, this big issue of of burnout um, and re- and resilience, which actually is where we started out with uh, Brene Brown. I think you know, just sort of talking about. You know the the strain, uh, both of modern society in general, but I think the the magnification that working in healthcare uh, provides to some of those prevailing overarching trends. So, to, so the, you're going to be able to find those uh, uh, throughout the conference.
0: I wanted to say, Neftali, that not only can you come to the conference and attend sessions on burnout and resiliency and vitality, but there's something about attending the conference in itself that is powerfully um, uh, feeding and um, nutritious and sustaining and contributes to, you know, this um, this depth of relationships and to finding like minds and finding different minds and to building kind of collegial relationships that lead to the kind of presentation that Deepu is doing, right? People from East Carolina, people from um, Rio Grande Valley, that we can really um, discover common ground. And all of that, I think, feeds the... Um, the, the, the hunger we have for connection and the, the, you know, the, the great isolation that many of us practice in, right? Being the lone psychologist in family medicine or being the lone you know, voice of integration in a, you know, kind of a, a siloed kind of system. So anyway, a wellness within wellness, I think, is a really important part of why I go to that conference.
1: Oh absolutely. absolutely. I think I think that's the prevailing feeling that people have that it, you go there, you don't really even go for the sessions, um even though they're hugely stimulating, but you go for the people and you go for plugging back in uh, to a special place. So that's why CFHA has always been special to me. i'm I'm privileged to be in the role of executive director to make sure that that environment continues to be the environment that uh, that exists going forward. So, as usual, our conversation runs over. We have just a few minutes left for our main topic today, but I think we can do a good run through here for folks related to uh, the integrated team care team members. So let's go around as efficiently as we can and you know, pretend, we're gonna pretend that we've got an audience that doesn't know uh, a whole lot. Maybe it's a, like an audience of a new clinic or a new set of providers or administrators and they wanna know, you know what? What are the one or two things that my folks need to learn to operate well in an integrated care team? What do my nurses need to learn? What are my BHCs need to learn? What do my PCPs need to learn? Uh, my care managers, community health workers, et cetera. So let's just do it sort of, we don't have to be round robin, just like jump in and let us, let, you know, educate those folks out there related to what these folks need to have to operate um, effectively as integrated care teams. What have we learned essentially about the core competencies of integrated care teams? So, um, Deepu, we'll start with you and just okay. give us a sense of the, you know, you're you're going to talk to this group and, you know, they want to know what do PCPs need to know? Uh, what skills do they need to have to operate effectively in integrated care teams? What would you tell them?
3: I I would begin with, telling them that uh, integrated behavioral health is not sort of uh, taking specialty mental health and putting it in uh, 20, 30 minute visits, right? We are really about enhancing the capacity of primary care and acting as physician extenders to be a primary uh, level uh, care person or a healthcare provider for all behavioral psychological needs of the population. So as a physician, I hope that they can really begin to understand our role and explain that to our patients very efficiently so that they can introduce us in a non-stigmatizing, patient-centered, culturally competent way. I think the other thing that I would encourage physicians to really think about is how is all of the stuff that's going on in a patient's life is beginning to impact their day-to-day quality of life relationships and how they uh, do their activities throughout the week. So can they begin to note the functional impact of whatever problem and then begin to see that as a way of linking it back to a culture of whole health instead of introducing the team as part of that conversation? So those are like my two top things that I always think about. Um, Because I think there is a misconception that physicians may think that we're really offering specialty mental health in 30 minutes. Uh, and and sort of trying to do a lot of things in 30 minutes. That's not what it is, right? We're really trying to sort of, I, I like to think about retrofitting primary care so that it becomes more energy efficient and it becomes more uh, closer to the ideal that primary care is uh, created for and, and BHCs or behavioral health providers in an integrated setting is that tool that will get us there.
1: Absolutely, yeah, that's great. i I, I describe it in mention the same way to clinics I say we are we are not replacing the mental health system. What we're doing is really making right. doing primary care really great. We're doing what primary care was intended to do at its inception um, and it lost its way at some point and we're just trying to get it back functioning in a way that that maximizes it. So the core skill there is a, is a, and I'm great. Glad you identified that co- One of the core skills is for PCPs, they need to know how to introduce their teammates, right? And the, the new teammate is usually the BHC, the behavioral health consultant, and knowing how to introduce them is important so that so the, the patient really has the right kind of expectations around that. Um, so we can go into that uh, quite a bit, but I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, there was an instance where a resident uh, once mm-hmm. inter- introduced the BHC as a shrink, uh, which uh, <laughs> clearly has all sorts of connotations that most patients don't right. want to hear, uh, and uh, didn't go very, very well. So that was a teaching moment for that resident.
3: Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, I mean, the way, uh, I've heard all variations of how we, we've been introduced, anywhere from uh shrink to a therapist, to a behavioral coach, to a life coach, to a spiritual director. So we've had all kinds <laughs> of uh, wow. variability. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So well, you gotta so,
2: give people co- points for creativity there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Jeffrey, you maneuver the world of, of, uh, of lots of different other team members, right? Folks like yeah. care managers, community health workers, other mental health professionals, what do these folks need as far as skill development and core competencies to operate effectively on a team?
0: Well, this is a a question. These are the waters I swim in every day. I I work as a practice transformation coach uh, for integrated behavioral health and complex care sites in the Inland Empire. So um, myself and my physician um, uh, sort of co Coach uh, Dr. Brandon Fels, we we sit um, with these teams um, uh, and and really get in, into the the waters of doing this work. And and I'll just make a mention um, on our website bhintegration.com. We list actually um, sixteen core competencies that we feel are essential for these teams to really be able to do their work well. And and not only are the competencies described, but there's lots of great training materials. So. I invite folks if they want to, you know, take a deeper dive to, to 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 really look at what some of those competencies are, ranging from uh, how to outreach and engage patients to um, to you know supporting their self-management, health literacy. But, but the one that I'll talk about right now is the use of data and measurement um, measurement-based uh, practice um, and data-driven care. It's really important for a team to know whether or not they're really making a difference in terms of their patients' outcomes. We need to know about the complexity of their issues, both on the behavioral health side, as well as on the physical health side, as well as on the social realities of their life side. And so um, I think it's important to be able to have the competencies of data to build perhaps a registry, and that everyone can work that registry and know it like the back of their hand. Why is this important? Well, first, the registry really drives some of the decisions we make about who to take care of um, and and higher priorities, right? So if I look on my spreadsheet, I can see who are my patients that have both the highest diabetes um, levels of A1C and and the highest depression. Well, that's great to know because those are the patients of extraordinary complexity that are going to need additional attention. And who actually seem to be really improving and stable and may not necessarily need this kind of complex integrated care anymore. But it's not only that. It's not only the use of data for us who are managing the care, but it's you bringing that beautiful data into the clinical encounter with patients. It's saying to a patient, whoa, look at what your diabetes is doing. Um, We see here that you're actually, your depression started to come down and then your diabetes improved. Can we look at this together and see what we learn from that? Or notice how your hypertension and your anxiety both seem to be on the rise starting last April. What was going on? So data, the management, the creativity, the um, use, use of it from the back in terms of guidance and on the front end in terms of clinical treatment, I would say that's a really essential and precious important skill um, for our, our clinical and integrated teams.
1: Jeffrey, I love that you can get passionate about registries. <laughs> I, you know, it takes a special person, and that's why I think you and I are so simpatico, to get excited about data. And you're absolutely right, that, that, that you can use data clinically in really meaningful ways to feedback information, not just to the primary care team, but if you're really adept at it, to do it to the patient. And when you do that, you got it. You got the the notion of the whole feedback loop. That is what uh, what being a data driven team is about. So, just a practical example. This week, I have a a registry that I work off of, and my part of the registry is are the Spanish speaking patients. Uh, with the most severe uh, PHQ-9 scores, essentially. So these are scores. I believe the cutoff is 15 and above. And so I take a look at these folks, and I do do chart reviews on them, try to get a sense of when they were last in, what the progress, what their care has looked like to make sure that they're engaged. And then if they're not, then I give them a call and check to see what's going on and check to assess what needs they may have. And this is all part of my... Part of what I do as I work in and out of exam rooms, seeing patients. So just a practical way of, of illustrating uh, a little piece of what of what Jeffrey was talking about. Great example, absolutely core skill there. All right, Amber. I hope that oh, I, sorry. sorry I go, go ahead, Jeffrey.
0: Rochester. Uh, I hope that when we um, gather in Rochester in October, that we can bring our most beautiful um, registries and sit together and look at spreadsheets and really, you know, enjoy. <laughs> Save for no. <laughs> the beauty of that data and how it uh,
1: saves lives. So. All right. We, we must admit though, Jeffrey, that you and I are slightly odd in our appreciation for registries and data. Uh, yeah. So we just let the people out there know that not everyone will be sitting around looking at registries, just Jeffrey yeah, and myself.
3: Cool. Well, <laughs> I will join you guys because I am at a place where data is becoming critically important to the work that we're doing. So I am Finding my internal motivations uh, to get excited
0: about data. The heart says no, but the data says yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh Oh, wow! That's great! Wow! All (laughs) right.
2: That's a wrap. No, just
1: yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs)
2: Although, honestly, mind blown. I, I am now like I have internship later today, and I'm like, who can I give an assessment to? Like, I'm getting like super psyched about assessment which is like usually not my favorite part of you know w- what i do but man you guys it's i think it might be contagious and that's not what i was planning on getting out of our conversation today but all of a sudden i'm, I'm finding myself really fired up about some about getting some data on on my people i, I don't know i don't know what are you guys doing to me yeah. here I don't no know. it's <laughs> helpful
1: it's helpful <laughs> so speaking of your trainee status um, I, I want to talk about trainees as well. So, can you give us, Amber, what are the core things that as a trainee you need to operate effectively? You think in an integrated care environment. What what, what sort of coaching do you think a trainee needs to do their best in a on a team?
2: Um. Honestly, like you know, it it might sound very just, you know vague, but for me, communication has been super important. Um, Just people being willing to give me feedback, you know, wherever it comes, whether it's, you know, from the patients or, you know, from other providers or from my, my supervisor, Um, just really being open with that communication because I am learning. And then also having that communication go both ways, knowing that people's doors are always open. If, you know, I have a question or I have a concern um, I recently went through you know a difficult situation, you know at my at my site, and um, the support and the learning that was uh, surrounding me. Uh, like during that time was something that provided a really awesome growth opportunity for me so you know as as vague and as blanket statement as it sounds I think you know communication is a really really big piece of it and um, and honestly now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it uh, data <laughs> which is not what I was planning on saying but um, you know I think when you do have kind of that black and white feedback looking at you know, where the correlations are between, you know, different things like depression and diabetes and things like that, it really is validating, um, you know, as a trainee to know that, you know, getting in there and doing this work is actually having that type of deep impact um, on the patients and their overall well-being, which is, you know, why we're doing this to, to begin with. So I would honestly say that those are those are the two really like big, big pieces for, for yeah. me in particular. I'm sure it's it varies for different trainees at different training sites.
1: Well, I think I think certainly the topic of communication is one of the first things I work on with trainees because, and it's not, it's communication with the trainees, obviously, as far as how we supervise, but uh, more so how they communicate as team members. Because I think one of the intimidating pieces of trainees, especially on the behavioral health side, um, uh, is learning how to talk to other teammates without feeling super duper intimidated mm-hmm. or or bringing in too much of their behavioral health sort of culture into the communication. So basically what that means is talking too much because, you, know, uh, you know, we, you know, we. Yeah, I don't ever health, have a problem with that. I don't ever yeah. have a problem with talking too much. No, that's
2: not, that's not a thing for me. Maybe other people, yeah. but not. Even. So I, I literally,
1: I, I talk, I train my trainees um, to like, concisely describe what they need to communicate to the primary care provider in 30 seconds or less because they must be able to communicate effectively in that way in order to stay relevant in the environment and i train them in very basic core skills like how to walk in a room confidently how to sit in a chair and with a good erect confident posture um, so that they don't take on the sort of lesser than everyone trainee status um, and of course my first homework assignment for all trainees is how do you introduce yourself to the patient? So we actually have them write out an introduction so that they describe what they do, how they work as part of the team, et cetera, as part of what they do. And it's talking about that feedback loop, Amber. One of the key pieces that really helps folks develop that teamness is actually just shadowing. So being in clinic with uh, the behavioral health trainee and watching over them, which is also a key strategy for family medicine resident trainees as well, because it gives you direct, immediate data. Feedback in the moment about what worked, what didn't work, um, um, how you presented yourself, all your nonverbals, uh, some of the content areas that you might be weaker on that you can go back and learn some things on. And so especially in integrated care teams, I'm a big proponent not of the let's check in at the end of the week and talk for an hour, but the live shadowing in the exam rooms, working right there, where I can comment even on your team skills. I can comment on how you talked to the provider, how you talked to the MA, how you addressed the nurse, how you managed the flow in the clinic, et cetera, which is what makes integrated care super-duper unique. So really, really uh, important competencies for trainees to develop. Agreed. All right. We are unfortunately at the end of of another great conversation that we can continue. And we will deepen these conversations over time. What we probably ought to do is just sort of focus on one team member in the future and uh, sort of the competencies that they need to develop. But Jeffrey's uh, website link will be included in the, in, the sh- in the show notes. It is a really great place to go uh, to uh, uh, locate all those core competencies. So uh, behavioral health integration, BH integration is the website, right? BHintegration.com. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then under the, I think it's under the training link, uh, training menu item that you can find the core competencies there to do some more research for yourself so great guys another great podcast it's great to see you all um we have a uh a parting what is this is this a poem deepu or is this a it's a poem okay all right it's you guys if you've been listening to us for any period of time you know that we end our podcast with some sort of inspirational thought or some sort of way to orient ourselves as we energize ourselves for the next month of integrated care work so uh this one actually comes from our um you know i just realized we didn't even introduce ourselves at the beginning of the podcast we just kind of started talking (laughs) i just realized that (laughs) (laughs) little well they should have been
2: listening for all the podcasts so they should already know yeah if you don't know who we are except for grace who we miss dearly
1: so yeah, so Grace is the originator of this. Uh, this was actually a poem, I guess, that was read at the funeral of a mentor and uh, director at her clinic. So this is sort of in honor of, of that person's memory. Um, and so Grace is the originator of this. She's the, she wasn't able to be on the podcast today because of, of other responsibilities. So Deepu, take us away with this beautiful poem. For those of you out there um, in podcast, thank you again for listening to us. This is the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association's Integrated Care Podcast. Please check in with us in another month. We've got another great show for you. Deepu, take us home.
3: All right. And this deeply connects to uh, themes of resilience, spirituality, and a couple of other things that came up. I I often use this with our family physician trainees and sometimes patients to help them think about who they are and all the things that they inhabit throughout the day. It's a poem by one of the great Sufi poets. Uh, It's called The Guest House. Jalaluddin Rumi was a Sunni Muslim jurist, Islamic scholar, theologian, and a Sufi mystic. And he's written several thought-provoking, and here is thought-provoking prose and poems, and here is The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably he may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Deepu. And if you are a fan of bringing that ethos and spirit into healthcare, then you are a fan of what we do. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next month.